yeah, there's never too many plays of the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Never. <laughs> I honestly, Saddest I don't, song. I don't know that I would be able to spot it if it came on right now. Besides, oh, like, man. there are a sure. couple of of great shipwreck songs. And that's one of them. That is the well. That's the one. I mean, Fiddler's Green is a shipwreck song. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Man, I've been I've been listening hearing every tragically hip song with a totally different lens now. Yeah. Like it's which is kinda cool. Like I'm really appreciative every time one comes on. Right. It's nice just to to have gratitude to, for hearing a, a song, which never really happens. But when you hear songs by them now, you're like, ah, oh, hell yeah. I know. Well, and I heard somebody mention that they, I've heard a couple of people say this actually, that it would be a really cool idea for them to take that final Kingston concert and put it on DVD and sell it with the proceeds going towards cancer research or whatever. Sure. Yeah. And in my head, I was thinking that's a nice idea, but I never want to see that concert again. No. I, well, I think of, I mean, concert DVDs are very niche anyway. Most yeah. people don't want those. Right. And like, if I was going to have a concert DVD, it would be because I was going to have like a house party and I wanted a thing on the TV. Yeah. That, that like wasn't a sports game or something. I was just going to put on like, so that everybody could occasionally be like, oh, Bruce is doing Dancing in the Dark. And then sure. they go back to the conversation. Right. Having. Yeah, that's cool. That's a cool idea for it. But I'm not going to put on the saddest concert ever. No, that's that's pretty fair, I guess. But like, I guess it depends how you think about it, right? You, it is a sad concert, but I mean, it had tragic, no pun intended, a tragic air about it. You would watch concerts by people who had passed away and stuff, and it would be like well, fine that and there's some stuff that you just watch because you feel a bit of a i don't know if, if you want to feel vulnerable or if you just you just want somebody to fillet your emotions do you ever feel that right. way like sure like you ever watch the the jim henson funeral because you no. feel like crying or like no that's but the that thing sounds that um, does like big bird speak at it i think he does big bird or... uh the thing about the jim henson funeral is that all the muppets are there but the only ones that talk are the ones that aren't voiced by jim henson ah uh... so like Except for Kermit comes out at the end and he sings, uh, it's not easy being green or right. rainbow connection or something. But oh, like at, at the end, they're like, oh, right. Cause they can't have Jim do any of the voices, but then they did have, I, it might've been a recording right, sure. of Kermit. But, uh, yeah. So that's like one of the ultimate saddest <laughs> things ever. Are you familiar with the movie called about time? No. Have we talked about this before? No. It's a, it's a, a Richard Curtis movie. So it's like, it's a sappy thing that you put on, like he made, uh, Notting Hill and oh okay sure yeah um, the Christmas one that everybody likes um, oh uh, the British one I know exactly what Love you're Actually about. Love Actually um, and and so his most recent movie is called About Time and it's got Donald Gleason in it and uh, Bill Nye Rachel McAdams okay right. and it was kind of billed as going to be like one of these uh, romantic movies romantic British movies it was kind of misrepresented in its marketing I think because it's it ties up the romantic story very early okay. and then it becomes this movie about a father-son relationship and if you've ever had a father <laughs> yeah. alive or not or if you didn't have a father like there's no man who could get through this in one piece really oh my god i What's i it watched called? it's called about time. about time it's about this family wherein it, all the men in the family on their 18th birthday are told by their father that they have the gift of being able to travel back in time. But <laughs> okay. on, only the men in their family. So the idea is you have to, when, you, when you're in a situation that you want to relive or you want to fix, you have to get to a small enclosed place like a closet or a car or, or something. Okay. Close your eyes and think about the moment you want to go back to and you'll, you'll be there. So uh, Donald Gleason uses, uses this power as a way of circumventing his awkwardness when he's wooing Rachel McAdams and they end up falling in love and, 
and whatever. But it's all about his relationship with his dad, who it turns out is sick. And I, I, I watched it like a week after my grandfather died. Oh, God. And I, I don't know if I was like frozen, but I didn't cry until the drive home. Really? Like I watched it and I was like, this is sad. And then I dropped off my friend and I just like bawled on the ride home. Really? And and there was like six months ago when, when I don't know why, but I just decided I, I need to feel something. Sure. <laughs> so I put on this movie by myself and I, I like sobbed. Like there were moments where like, wow. where, and it, it wasn't just like I'm tearing up and there's like boogers running off my nose. It yeah. was like, I have to gasp for a breath a couple of times here. Wow. Be- just because of the way they handled it. And if you're feeling like that, it is a beautiful film. Wow. It's okay. really good. Good to know. How do we get there? Gord Tragically Downey. Hit. Gord yeah. Downey. Good Lord. Yeah, I didn't even like really expect I, that I'd watch that show. I, yeah, and I only saw the end of it, which yeah. I need to watch again because I still haven't watched it start to end. I was reading a thread uh, in the comment section on Reddit. Somebody had posted a video. There's always the people on Reddit... Many of them are Americans, so they're not expected to know who the tragically hip is. Excuse sure. me, and but there's always people who are just like, "Why does everybody care? I've never heard of this band." Okay, mm-hmm. but it, there are many things you've never heard of, right? right? Yeah. There are there are so many more and things you've never heard you of to write on any. I know. Thread about I it. know, and Facebook comments are another place you see that all the time. Yeah, but um, a lot of people criticizing the set list, and I mean the set list was incredible. The yeah, Tragical Hip Show. All of their hits. The only song they didn't play that I would have liked to hear was 38 Years Old, but there's this whole other story about that, I guess. Right. But they saved Ahead by a Century for the very last. After three encores, after nine songs of encores, the very final Tragically Hip performance ever was Ahead by a Century. And that was the right thing to do. Yeah. For the same reason the Beatles' last performance was Hey Jude. It was their Hey Jude. Right. So there are all these people who, whether it's that they don't like it because they think it's overrated or they don't like it just because it's the most popular or they don't like it because it takes away from the song that they think is underrated or whatever. But all these people who are like, what, they saved the crappiest song for last? <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure they didn't actively choose to put their worst song the at the end. the last song at the end, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's what they were going for. That is probably the most well-known song by them. Has to be, right? Yeah, definitely. I'm trying to think of what else it could be. I mean, they've got so many that we probably hear so much just living in Canada and being around a classic rock station so much. Bob like, Cajun, maybe? Bob Cajun. Not bigger like, than a head by a century. Oh. 50 Mission Cap is pretty huge. Uh, New Orleans is sinking. New Orleans is sinking. Did huge. they Did they play that? They played that that night. They yeah. did. In the, it was part of the encore, I think. Right. Grace 2 is a huge song. Uh, I love Fiddler's Green yeah. so much. And Weed Kings really destroyed too. Like, Oh, I bet. It seems it seems like Courage was the one that everybody wants to attach to this tour. Right. Because like, he's courageous for sure. for doing this. But they played Courage second right. <laughs> the whole night. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh, they're not going to make a thing out of Courage. And then like five or six songs in, they did Weed Kings. And it was the first emotional part of the night. Right. But I did not anticipate watching it. I think I had said earlier in the day, like, you know, no disrespect I love the tragically hip as much as any average Canadian. Sure, but I'll I'll see it in the highlights or right. Whatever. And we talked about this, and I didn't really love them until. Well, I mean, I I still don't own any of their, their albums or anything, but I didn't appreciate them as much as everyone else did until I saw them live, and that's when I decided, like, wow, okay, I actively disliked the tragically hip before. Really. Yeah, I was like, no, 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 I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna see the tragically. Yeah, right. Like, you know, their songs would come on, and I'd kind of. But once they I were attached, cliches to you a little bit. Yeah. But once I attached seeing the concert to hearing their songs, 
And then this entire tour, it's mm-hmm. completely well. The concert was a few years ago, so my my view changed. I, I'd see them in a second, right? But I I never saw them perform. I saw Gord just like two years ago, right? With Feist, with Feist, right. which was strange. Yeah, but I never saw them, and I just I I got to know them a little better when we worked at K Rock because mm-hmm. like it was every show I played the Tragically Hip every night. Sure. So that. I got to know them a little bit through that, and maybe had I not had that job, I wouldn't have enjoyed watching the concert as much as I did. The other thing that was frustrating about the comments people were making online is like this this resentment for people who are just finding the tragically hip now. And, right. and I saw the same thing in a meme yesterday over Gene Wilder. Um, and to be fair, it was you know that Willy Wonka meme, yeah, where Willy oh, Wonka's like, right. "Oh, you tell me how you're." Yeah, uh, yeah. So it was kind of funny, to be fair, but it was. The, the premise was essentially, oh, just now you've decided you're a huge fan. Right. Because it's important. Yeah. And who gives a shit? Yeah. Like if you're, if you're discovering the Tragically Hip or better yet, if you are taking part in a seminal Canadian moment. Sure. And that made you become a fan. Right. That's great. We're always going to remember that, that concert. awesome. I'm right. sure millions of Canadians changed their tone about the Tragically Hip that night. I hope so. I think even my parents did, who, again, not Tragically Hip fans, but they watched it and they were like, wow, that was actually a really, really good show. It's one of those bands where you hear song after song and you don't really realize until you hear them listed how many songs you know. And and familiarity is such a huge thing. You know, we both know that from like people want to listen to what they're familiar with. Yep. And when you're sitting down and watching a concert and you realize that you know every other song by this band... It's pretty enjoyable. And it makes you feel good about yourself. Yeah. Oh, I'm like a part of this. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Spoiler alert. This show show explores television content that's been available for consumption for quite some time. If a spoiler or two slips into the conversation, well, you were warned. Here is this week's show show with Sweets and Slaney. That's okay. We droned on about really sad stuff for long enough anyway. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> Let's right. talk about uh, a couple of shows, one of which is, is kind of sad, honestly, in nature. Mm-hmm. One, of the, one of my favorite shows of all time. Let's, let's not start with that one, though. Let's get the other one out of the way. Okay. Uh, did you watch the pilot episode of Gilligan's Island? I did. <laughs> you watched it. <laughs> what an ending. You know what? Like, <laughs> I, I ju- I'm so glad we watched Get Smart first yeah. because... Because I know now that, like the cheapness of the of the production, mm-hmm. won't keep me from giving credit where credits due. That's true. I liked the Get Smart pilot. I still give some credit where credit is due on this pilot too, though. There, why? <laughs> for all of its misgivings, there were a few like kind of funny parts, like when Gilligan's on, he's like, "Help save us, we're marooned." They spelt maroon wrong. Oh, really? I didn't and, notice that. And then the the captain goes, "You wrote that, you idiot." And he's like, <laughs> "Oh, right, I don't know how to spell maroon." That <laughs> <laughs> that to me was like super funny, honestly. And, but like a bunch of very stupid shit, and I ha- have a list written down of all the stupid shit that happened. And to be fair, it's supposed to be stupid. Oh, of course. And I mean, it's based on a concept. It, it, it's kind of funny to juxtapose something that's tragic mm-hmm. with like complete absurdity and hilarity. Right. Like they're, they're are completely not traumatized at all. No. There's also <laughs> like, I don't know if this is supposed to be satirical or if they just hoped that audiences wouldn't pick up on it. But like they they really drive home the point that it was a three hour tour. 
Yes. And they all have so much luggage. Here's here's <laughs> one thing that I, that I had a conversation about. It it was a 3-hour tour. Yep. On this 3-hour tour you had two they say millionaire in the theme song, but I'm pretty sure they say billionaire in the first episode. Oh, maybe. Okay. So Thurston Howell the 3rd and his wife. Yep. You have a movie star. Yep. You have a Girl that works at a general store <laughs> who is described as attractive. How did she get on well, that boat? I don't know. <laughs> and it was a, th- a three-hour tour and like a shitty boat. Yeah. Why did all these people get on together? And how did Marianne afford the same tour as the, <laughs> all of these other people? That is such a funny observation. And when, they, when they're introducing all of the cast that's basically like gone missing it's basically the first scene in the show they have the radio on working somehow the radio is used in almost every episode of the show right <laughs> but that's bizarre and yeah totally bizarre. i mean it really speaks to the fact that they were on a three-hour tour how far away from civilization could they be yeah it's like it's like huge breaking news where they say on the radio this the ss minnow is still missing the captain, uh, this the or the skipper and right. and Gilligan are are gone. This movie star Ginger was on there. She was last seen wearing her gown. This attractive girl that works at a general <laughs> store, which I was like, what? My favorite thing about that broadcast was that they said Ginger like fifth. I was right. like, if that was today, the movie star would be the only person they were talking I about. I know, and <laughs> and. The professor, who's also a well-known scoutmaster. So it really lays out that he's probably going to have some scale in the woods It or was something. just a good expository moment for them to set us up for what we were in for. Right, which, which didn't need to happen considering in the last scene, they're all trapped in a cave yeah. where they're so scared of the Marumbe tribe. Right. Which is racist. Which is racist. And then (laughs) Gilligan comes out of the cave at the end dressed as one of the members of the Marumbe tribe. Yeah. Which isn't in the episode at all. So where did he get that costume from in a dark cave? I know. I know. When I first put it on, I actually, I accidentally put on uh, season three, episode one. And I watched about 10 minutes before I realized there's no way this can be the series premiere because they're just so comfortable on right. this island. Yeah, they're so used to it. But it opens with Gilligan wandering into a cave and he gets bit on the neck by a bat. Okay. And so the episode is all about how he thinks he's going to turn into a vampire. And I was like, is this the pilot? <laughs> a guy, what a weird way to introduce the show. A guy thinks he's turning into a vampire. They're already out of ideas and it's the pilot. Yeah. Well, how many episodes? So there's only three seasons. Yeah. But how many episodes does each season have? Because it looked like there was a bunch. I don't know. I didn't look into it. I mean, there can't be that many. It looked like there might have been like 20 episodes a season. Which 60 oh. episodes about being trapped on an island. That's all they had for lot. like for Batman of the 60s. Yeah. Like that's another show that was satirical and clever and at times subtle. Right. In that era. Yeah. It could be done. Right. This was just, I, I, I you know what really made me laugh? I mean, that, that theme song is so iconic, right? And, yeah. And gone are the days of the theme song that essentially tells the whole story in 30 seconds. And also tells, <laughs> tells the audience to come back next week. Right. 
Exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're also going to be here next week, so you should watch us then. And then it's uh, Channel CBS. <laughs> I mean, they didn't go that far. But. My, my favorite part of that was like, I mean, apparently they, they reworked the theme song because in the first episode, it lists a few of them and then he goes. And cuts and, it off. And the rest. The rest is literally two people. <laughs> they say everyone but two people. Marianne. Why did and- they cut that off? And the professor? Marianne no. and the professor are cut yeah, off. Yeah, because the last part is the professor and Marianne. Yeah. yeah. And the rest. <laughs> a movie star. <laughs> and the rest. <laughs> so the, I looked it up and it turns out uh, Sherwood Schwartz, when he created the series, he intended for them to be like very minor characters. In this show about seven people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what were they supposed to do? Just like, oh my God. And every episode is built around, like the premise is what the, the professor comes up with. Yeah. And they yeah, needed... Good thing they put the professor in that show. I know. I was thinking when I saw the professor, I was like, am I really expected to believe that he never gets with Ginger or Marianne? Because he's like, he's like a good looking guy. He's accomplished. <laughs> right. He's, I think, I he's think brilliant. Screen, they were like hooking up every other yeah, day. Yeah, probably. But like, like Lovey Howell is there with her husband. She's not going to be able to stray. And then the other right. two men are Gilligan and the Skipper. <laughs> they have no sexual desire <laughs> at all. So I have to imagine that like Ginger and Marianne were both going after the the brilliant professor. Yeah, I think they were. I think there's episodes where that's the whole that's the whole crux of the show is them trying to hit on the professor. I guess I guess it was like a very common thing for fans to discuss Ginger or Marianne mm. in like a Veronica oh, yeah, versus okay. Betty kind of sure. way. And so, I don't know. Do you have a, a, a pick? I'm Marianne all the way, baby. I'm that attractive general store oh. worker. Man, I'll take the money. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing sure. I thought about about the, the sexual drive of the, the, the sexual chemistry of the cast was that, like, Ginger's last name is um, Grant, right? So, like, right. They, they created her name out of Ginger Rogers and Cary Grant. So, like, it's conceivable that the character is supposed to have been married to Cary Grant. Right. There's no way she's going for the skipper. No, <laughs> no. Her, their standard doesn't have to drop too much to go for the bookish professor. You know, one thing that I also found super funny uh, was the opening uh, theme song. While it's like showing the images of what's happening. It's saying how like valiantly the skipper and Gilligan fought to like save the ship. Yeah. And it's just showing Gilligan like falling over, like trying to <laughs> hang on to his hat on top while like the skipper's actually doing shit. That was strategic. That I know. I know. But it's just so funny how how like. What were they touring? Uh, like what were they looking around? If they're now in an uncharted. were they? Well, and like if they were that far out, what were they like pointing at and saying like on your left is the, (laughs) what kind of a tour is this? Three hour tour. We're going to take you three hours out to the Atlantic and hope for the best. They did make a movie. I know. Escape from Gilligan's Island. I think it's called. And in that movie, it's funny. Jen was asking, have you ever seen the Gilligan's Island movie? Mm -hmm. And I was like, no. Well, I, I think I have, I think I've definitely seen the part of it. And in like the first 10 minutes, they, are off of Gilligan's Island, and that's, they're like, "That's the whole. The movie is all about their their reassimilation, right, back into society. So they're like famous because they right. were suspected dead, mm-hmm. and so um, hilarity ensues. And then in the end of the movie, they go on a commemorative tour to ring in the anniversary of their rescue, yeah. and they get lost again. What on the same island? And that's how the movie ends. That's exactly what I said to Jen. I they was shipwreck like, again. they must end up getting shipwrecked again. She was yes. like, no. That That's, is what happened. They do. <laughs> that is hilarious. I want to watch that movie now. That is what happened. How, can you imagine how despondent you would be? No, yeah, you would You would clearly think, like, I'm cursed. Right. This is, this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs>
That's amazing. But they're just like, well, I guess we should get to work. Which leads us to the other show. And we set off the microphone. Of these two shows about being stranded on a desert island, (laughs) Amazingly Lost is the less preposterous of the two shows. You were a fan of Lost. Yeah. The thing you and I differ on, I guess it's as good a place to start as any, Mm -hmm. is you're kind of with the bulk of the crowd on the ending. Yeah, I didn't. Whereas love I'm the a ending. bit of an apologist. But on, honestly, I I'd never rewatched the ending. And upon reading Wikipedia on how the show ended, it kind of straightened something out for me. Okay. And that's that I don't think that I understood that Jack died yeah. on the island. Yeah. And then, like, I think I thought the whole thing was that they were dead the whole time. No. But a lot of people say that. A, a lot of a lot of people seem yeah. to be of the mind that, like, when Jack goes well, to the church in the finale, and this is this is him kind of his soul kind of coming to terms with his death, right? And like Sawyer's there, well, yeah. And so all these people who didn't die in the series are there. Right. That was really that frustrating was the confusing for thing. But yeah, it, but they explain. I think it was I, maybe the Ben character explains, or no, it was the Christian Shepherd character explains. Okay. To Jack, and this is kind of when Christian Shepherd is is peaceful and kind, which he never was throughout the series. But he's like helping Jack understand that he has died and that that's okay. Right. Um, Who's Christian Shepherd? His dad. Oh, the right. Whole show yeah, yeah. is about like yeah. the ghost of Christian Shepherd. But yeah. as it turns out, seeing the ghost of Christian Shepherd throughout the series was never Christian Shepherd. No, it was the man in Jacob black or, or the man in black. Yeah. Right. It, it, and he explains to Jack very very clearly. These people are here because they're the people who mattered to you right. in your okay. most important time. I, and I do remember this now. I think I, yeah, I, it was just, it's not an easy show to follow. No, no. And I've seen it all the way through twice and I've seen bits and, bits and pieces more than twice. So did they ever explain the polar bear? Yeah. The polar bear was part of the Dharma initiative. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. That's the thing is like, there was definitely some loose ends and they, they, they definitely went off in some kind of wild directions. Maybe yeah. were a little lost themselves from time to time. Sure. But there, there's also this idea clearly from people who didn't watch the show that they were just making it up as they went along. Mm. And if you watch it, there's just no way that's possible. And right. in fact, that's like, even when they weren't making such good episodes, at least they had a plan. Yeah. Because there was well, a time when it dipped, but I got they, back into it, man. That's what they said, but I think on the ending, I kind of thought, oh no, they definitely did make that up all along. Yeah, they had a yeah, they had a plan. They yeah. knew what they were. I think they knew their starting point and they knew their their ending point, and they had a hard time with some of the middle stuff. At end of season three was really when it like peaked for me, when I realized that when it shows that those were actually flash forwards. Yeah, I think and, that's season four or five. But yeah, yeah that was a and big like, one. We got to go back to the island. Because it was so confusing yeah. for that whole season. That was the best. Lost did lose people after season two for a good year. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, at a time, it was the most expensively made network pilot ever. Right. Uh, 10 to $14 million. Mm-hmm. And at the time, it was the most viewed network pilot ever in American history anyway. And right. so probably ever it was viewed by 18.65 million people wow uh but they had a huge drop off i mean they lost like five or six million people within the first two episodes or something and that's bound to happen but people very quickly became frustrated and i understood that Mm -hmm. and even i took a break from it for a year yeah and it's hard to it's a hard show to get back into if you're taking a year's break from it it. is but if you if you stick it through that one or that one season the season and a half Mm -hmm. i really find find it's worth it yeah and it, it ties up a little bit too neatly, 
perhaps. Well, but I don't know if I would have wanted it any differently. And I don't know that it's that neat. Like, you lose characters, like, yeah. you know, like main characters. You mean with death? Yeah. No, I, I really think that uh, the John Locke character is one of the one of the most brutal characters in TV history. First of all, brutal in a bad way, like not like no, brutal. no, brutal in a in a devastatingly sympathetic way. Oh, I mean, okay. I love the character, yeah, and I think Terry O'Quinn was was an incredible actor. He was the only main uh, series actor who didn't have to audition for the show. Really? Yeah, because I guess he had a small role in Alias, so JJ knew he him. He did, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think he played it beautifully, but. There is no redemption for John Locke. No. He has a sad life. He dies a sad death. Right. And then he He's gets, arguably happiest when he's on the island. He's definitely happiest when he's on right. the island. But he's treated as a pariah when he's on the island. Mm-hmm. He's ostracized. Right. He doesn't fit in. Mm-hmm. And it ends up killing him. Right. And do you think that he doesn't fit in and he's ostracized because he's so much happier than everyone else? They were definitely threatened by that. Yeah. He, he also had an understanding that was a few seasons ahead of them. Yeah. And that was, I mean, it was almost Christly. So it was like, they were like, we have to get away. And so in many ways, Jack and Locke became the yin and the yang to the series. Right. Right. Charlie's death was also probably the saddest. That was gut-wrenching. That was probably the saddest to me. Not Penny's boat. Not Penny's boat. That was a gut-wrenching episode. I mean, Faraday is just looking at like, Oh, what? What yeah. is going on? He was like the comedy relief. Like other than Hurley, like he was the light, lovable character. Yeah. This is a guy who was like, like a smack addict. Yeah. In the first season, and he did, he had some not so fine moments, but he was so affable. Right. And then he did the heroic thing. Mm-hmm. Although, in watching it through the second time, what I didn't quite realize, what I didn't remember from the first viewing, was that they really foreshadowed Charlie's death. Like, you see it coming for almost a whole season. Right, but I think you, you're you hoping that it, it's not going to happen. Like, you know right. how, how sometimes there's shows that hint at a death, but they overcome it, and it's like, oh, that was just an well, obstacle. And that was kind of the introduction of the Desmond character, who might have been my favorite in the whole series. I love Desmond. Yeah. Um, and he had a centric episode uh, later on when they start to introduce time travel, an episode called The Constant, which is one of my favorite TV episodes of all time. But that's how they kind of introduce him with this idea that he has an ability to see visions of the future. Right. And, wh- and what episode was The Constant? Can you get into that a little it bit? It was uh, an episode where he starts flashing in and out of reality. Like his consciousness starts, It's he's being restrained on the freighter, which is just off the coast of the boat, of right. the island. And he his mind is starting to melt and occasionally he'll flash in and out of consciousness between the freighter and his past when he was right. in the military yeah and he starts going on and he starts manipulating his past so to get answers so he goes to oxford and he meets eloise hawking and he learns that there is a time travel component to this island right i learned today i didn't know this but apparently they had plans to introduce time travel into the series much sooner that the danielle russo character when they first gave her backstory they intended to imply that she came with her league of scientists to study the time travel abilities of the island right but the network discouraged them from doing that really we don't want people to think this is a sci-fi series they Uh don't know what it is yet yeah (laughs) and it was a sci-fi series and we never quite never quite learned what it was no but a lot of people say that time travel was a last-ditch effort for the creators of lost and no it was always something they wanted to do always planned yeah you know who one of my favorite characters in the show was oh my god richard alpert (sighs) 
boy, he was cool. He was so cool. He like, was cool. He made me want a navy button-up shirt so bad. He had <laughs> wear eyeliner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I know. Like, just an immortal guy. There was a, a thing about his... Uh, yeah, but that was so sad in the episode where you find out why he's immortal. Remember that episode? It was like late in the series where... You know what? I don't really remember, but as soon as you tell me, I'll... So you discover that the Black Rock, which is the ship that's in the middle of the jungle, was his ship. And he was a slave rowing underneath. Okay. And so the ship crashes on the island, as things do. Yep. And he's like one of the only survivors. And he's chained inside the boat. And he thinks he's going to have to, like, eat one of his other, like, the corpses or whatever. Anyway, he makes a deal with Jacob that he won't be able to die. That's how he gets out. Yeah. And then he becomes this, like, clean-cut... Like almost Ryan Seacrest looking yeah. type. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, th- there was this whole thing about how bloggers were saying that um, Nestor Carbonell, I think is his name, they were always making fun of his, his eyes and how smoky they were and how right. clearly the actor was wearing eye makeup. And he insists that he wasn't, but there was uh, a later episode in the series where Sawyer, who's always giving nicknames to characters, <laughs> called him Guy Liner, uh, <laughs> just as like a wink to those That's bloggers. Funny. Yeah, Sawyer is a great character. Sawyer was a great character, you're right. Yeah. What has I, he been in since? He's had a few pilots where like they tried to stick him in as the as Green. the anchor. Yeah. I mean, he was he's very likable. Yeah. He's got the look, and he's a good actor. I don't know why, but he just wasn't able to get. He's a guy who needs like a Showtime style show. Like I could see him as maybe not Ray Donovan because I think Leif Schreiber is like insane. Yeah. But definitely David Duchovny in California. I was just thinking that. Yeah. Yeah. I was so thinking that like yeah. he could play like that washed up guy so well. I mean, it kind of was that anyway in Lost. I think at the end of the day, Lost is about redemption. That's the whole story is about yeah. is about writing your wrongs. I mean, you start out with this metaphor uh, this mixed bag of people, all these different walks of life, and as you get to know them, you discover that they're all um, terribly flawed, and they all they have all of these like skeletons in their closets. Right. And some of them find ways to come to peace with those those flaws, and some of them die. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sawyer was the former, so he's like one of the great survivors of that series. Right. But he also became a like when you see his goodness. Like, do you remember when Juliet died? yes like that was like a, a gut-wrenching sawyer episode yeah he was just so mad at, J- at jack yeah and i'm kind of all over the place because i love this show but and it's still pretty fresh in my heart seemingly and, and hurley was another one who survived and yes became like the caretaker of the island yeah well yeah yeah ben I mean, that's all he ever wanted was ben the whole premise of ben is i i want a purpose right, right. and by the way michael emerson that's maybe and i've said grandiose things a lot already i don't want to be hyperbolic but that's maybe the best tv performance i've ever seen the the ben linus character yeah oh my god he was, was so good and and especially when you didn't know exactly what was going on right. with the others right and you were just trying to figure out like oh is this how much of a super villain is this ben guy well and just like almost in a in a pre-walter white way he made a despicable person sympathetic yeah, you're right like this is not a good person right but he you your heart goes out to him mm-hmm he let his daughter get killed. Oh yeah. So that he wouldn't have to come out of the house. Right. Yeah, and he, he in the end he he survives too and he gets to like care for the island with Hurley. Yeah. Here's a series I would watch again, but have no idea how I would ever watch it again. It would have to be like me 
snowed in for six weeks yeah <laughs> and i just have all of the dvds right and there's no netflix connection and it's on uh, netflix oh okay well sure that helps but i mean you can too. watch so many other things on netflix right. too and jen has all the dvds it hooks you in i mean like when, when becky and i decided to watch it, it i mean that that pilot episode is so good yeah um, and and it's one of the better things jj's ever done mm-hmm. i think um to the, he'd probably say the same thing what do you think about the character of uh what's his name boone Boone, yeah. I wasn't a huge fan of him. Jen loved him. I also, was she just attracted to him? Could be, honestly. I, I don't think we had enough time with him to care that much when he died. Like, yeah. it was the first big character death. So I guess that right. was like, oh, this is what the yeah, show is going to do. Yeah, maybe that's why it impacted Jen so much. But it did hurt like, people. Oh, it was mm-hmm. only early second season. I know. He hadn't been around that long. No. And then they wiped out Shannon like it was nothing. Who was Shannon? Oh, Shannon sister. was his sister. Well, there was a time where they just started killing people like it was nothing. Right. Like, and then later on, Saeed... Saeed kind of has an unceremonious death for a character who was like top five top main characters. Definitely. He kind of, I don't even really remember how he dies. I know it's always really troubled my brother that Sun and Jin, and he didn't really, he liked Jin, but he didn't really care for Sun, neither did I. It always really bothered Ross that they essentially elected to die. Mm-hmm. Like, like one of them was trapped underneath the water and the other went down to rescue the other and one of them could have gotten away. They right. have a baby, but they yeah. just decided to die together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not okay no parents bad parenting move i'm not sure how it's done in korea yeah. but and who ends up looking after the baby i'm sure one of the other survivors uh maybe kate i think because kate, kate has that motherly thing in her that was yeah. unsatisfied i think kate does did you know that more than 50 different babies played aaron no <laughs> yeah. that's incredible yeah 50 and the thing i like about them writing walt off the show was that they were clearly doing it because he was aging so quickly i think that was a thing people were starting to question really on the really early on like as soon as it was clear this show is not moving in real time yeah the first season is over 41 days i think and right. like this little boy is going to go through puberty very soon <laughs> yeah and the other thing was that hurley should be getting thinner right <laughs> a lot doesn't. of people brought that up yeah yeah which he really he never does he never does of you course i think th- they would have put more like effort into making jorge garcia get thinner he's still never gotten any thinner no well no not after the show ended but i mean like because of the show yeah yeah you would think so it would have been a nice but then he got out though that's maybe one of my favorite seasons the season where they're off the island yeah and it's just showing them hurley's in the mental institution yeah that was cool i forgot about that really cool yeah the, the kate story is really dramatic i mean she's got the baby and she's kind of on the run again I, yeah i remember her having a gun and driving around actually i was kind of always irritated by kate yeah because she has very little levity in her character mm-hmm. and jack jack too and there were times where jack kind of annoyed me because he right. took himself so seriously yeah but like kate is just she's kind of portrayed as like the the athena of lost and yeah. i just i didn't care enough about her to really no? Oh, she man. was just, I mean, she was like always in trouble. <laughs> she, she was, was always, always in, in the middle of it. I was definitely too attracted to. You were blinded by distracted. Evangeline yeah. Lilly. I really was. She and Dominic Monaghan were together for four years. Really? Yeah. Dominic Monaghan is. Charlie. Oh, what? Yeah. Like I during no the idea. series. They were, they were in love. That's crazy. And funny, like they're both in the Lord of the Rings universe. Wait, Evangeline Lilly is? She's in The Hobbit. Oh, she is. Yeah, she's Didn't in those know. bad movies you chose not to remember. Yeah. Uh, Dominic Monaghan apparently, when doing his heroin scenes, he modeled his movements off of Andy Serkis as Gollum. Really? Which is funny because Andy Serkis modeled those movements after a heroin addict. 
So, really? so Dominic Monaghan was like, well, if I do this, it should, it should work. Right. <laughs> the math should add up. Yeah. I was going to say, who do you think is the most, is Jin the most successful actor right now of all of the lost franchise i mean he was on hawaii 50 yeah isn't he still isn't that show still going on maybe a couple of people from lost have turned up in hawaii 50 just because they decided to keep living in hawaii yeah and that's where that show is made and there's Mm -hmm. like probably a limited number of actors available when shooting there um i'm trying to think of other people who have turned up places matthew fox's career died he's done nothing i think he's a bit of an asshole i think so too and i think that mainly just because of that scene in knocked up when seth rogan is talking to <laughs> Catherine heichel and he goes will you, will tell, you tell him, him <laughs> will you tell him that he's an asshole for me <laughs> maybe that's informing like, my wh- opinion why would you why would you say that about an actor that you really liked except i've heard judd apatow and seth rogan together on howard talking about how they're they're favorite thing to do is to mock things they like and judd apatow directly uses the example of that scene where he says like we make fun of matthew fox and knocked up because we love lost oh really yeah so here's the funny thing for me on entourage they had a whole thing about am i uglier than seth rogan okay and seth rogan was like infuriated he didn't like it no. he he was like calling doug allen an asshole he said like anyone who i've ever heard of says he's the biggest dick in the world it so is mean him. but it is also, mean also sure. like maybe you just kind of have to roll with that one yeah because you have more money than them that's very true you know yeah you're living the real life entourage yeah you have everything that they're kind of lampooning yeah yeah you know yeah, yeah, that's i always kind of found it funny that he had such a stark reaction against it but well, I mean, yeah, I'm for, obviously Team he, Rogan. He's but. supposed to have a sense of humor about himself. He's able to make fun of himself. Mm-hmm. But uh, the other side of that is that he's a human and doesn't want to be called ugly. Right. So and sometimes I, you make fun of yourself because you want to beat other people to it. Right. So it's a defense mechanism. I got the impression that uh, that Josh Holloway is a decent guy. Okay. And I've, I've, I've seen Terry O'Quinn on Jimmy Fallon, and he did like a guitar bit. Like, Who's Terry O'Quinn? Uh, Locke. Locke, okay, cool. He seems like a good guy. Uh, yeah, I've, I have I remember seeing that same thing, and he was super outgoing. Like, Yeah, more than you would even expect. Yeah. And, uh, who? I mean, this, this, the cast is just endless. Michael Emerson was on Person of Interest for, like, basically yes. the time Lost ended till, until, like, last year. Like, yeah. that show was on for a while yep. uh, with Jim Caviezel. So he's he's remained relatively successful, and yeah. I think he could probably do whatever fucking play he wanted to do. I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of those people can. Uh, speaking, I know I brought this up earlier, but Lee Schreiber, if you ever want to take a deep dive into a crazy life, yeah. read his Wikipedia page. Really? Because it is insane. He's had a crazy life. His mom i think had like mental issues and took him off to live in like an ashram and which is kind of like a buddhist commune sure and that he lived in in like connecticut or something and and then he lived in new york and a lot of the time like his mom couldn't even pay the power bills and he was like a six-year-old kid wow and yeah just like had such a crazy upbringing and then went to Yale and did all oh, these that's cool like play yeah he it's such a like redemptive story I thought you were gonna say that he was one of those people whose like parents gave up everything so that he could be a movie star and they lived in their car God, I fucking hate those stories no but like it's not quite like that but his mom also I think bought him a motorcycle for his 16th birthday and said go have an adventure that's or something. cool like it was just so different from anything like that's that a beautiful ever... first chapter in a great road trip book yeah right like I want to I want to hear that story but like I remember I remember hearing Hillary Swank tell the story on like Oprah or something a long time ago and it's always stayed with me about how like she got famous because her mom agreed to let her be an actress and she quit her job and they went and they lived in their car in right. the Hollywood Hills 
and it was really bad for a few years. And my mom said, and the thing that always stayed with me was my mom said, that's a bad lesson. Yeah. And that's uh, like, that rang true to me. Like even as like a kid, whenever yep. a million dollar baby came out yeah. and she was an important, relevant actress that you shouldn't be bragging about that. That's that was a mistake. And there are so many people who, who don't come back from that. That's, that's every actor though. Like, well, I, yeah, you're right. Like every actor has every actor's like, and look at me now. I made it big, but I had to struggle. You mean I, every successful actor? Every, every yes, every actor that we hear from, every actor that we don't hear from is still in that struggle. Because it's another thing if you move to like the big city and you get a job as a bartender, right? Because and you're gonna and you're gonna follow your dream, but you have a job and you're gonna pay the rent. Like yeah. I, I'm all for doing the thing that's gonna make you happy, but your parents quitting their job because they see the twinkle in their darling child's <laughs> right. eye and giving up the house. And that's dangerous. Yeah. I think, what do they call it? Like survivorship bias when you only hear about the people that survived and got ahead. So okay. people are like, I'm going to be an actor too and do the same thing. And it's going to be great. Yeah. Well, you don't know about all the failed stories. Yeah. Cause nobody writes that autobiography No, And if they did, you wouldn't read it. No. If you heard about it, you wouldn't read it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you heard about it, you wouldn't read it. You know, they're not going to have a failed actor on a show to be like, hey, so what's wrong? Unless it's Ellen and she's about to give them a car. Right, right. I mean, speak of redemption, I mean, Ellen almost lost everything, right? She, yeah. I don't really know what that has to do with what we're talking about, but. Oh, no, yeah. But what? that's another crazy story. It is a crazy story. Because she basically came out on the show more or less i think i think she was out for about a year before the character of ellen came right. out and then everyone was kind of, like people were probably already a little bit eh, ellen right you know because like it was what the early 90s yeah people were weird then early to mid and then when sure. the character came out and to be fair to them and not their bigotry but to be fair to them and the audience's innate sense of narrative it's weird for a character that has only a few characteristics because most characters only have a few characteristics to suddenly be the opposite. The show is about a young woman trying to find someone. That's true. Although when you think about it, it's kind of nice irony. It's, it, it's, she had a hard time finding a, a, the right man because she doesn't like men. Right. Actually, that's kind of okay. We like to say, yeah, at the time though, if Seinfeld did the same thing, I'm sure people would, it would have been off the air. You're right. But I'm sure it would have been really funny still. Right. It was it was smart of Jerry Seinfeld not to come out of the closet. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Still waiting. Someday. Yeah. When uh, when Comedians in Cars needs a kick. Yeah. Comedians in <laughs> Cars coming out of the closet. He'll have on Ellen, yeah. which he's bound to do anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's only a matter of time. I'm surprised it's, there's really never-ending list of good comedians that can be on that show he picks the right people yeah he does I need to catch up on all of it i think i'm like 20 episodes behind at this point that's so weird for you because it's something I know. it seems like something you would gravitate it just towards seems, it's well i do it's just something that i don't think about a couple of years ago when i would try to watch it my internet was really bad so it just wouldn't load yeah. and then i'd give up right uh john mulaney on you made it weird today oh wow it was good they talk about how how john has had I mean, they talk about his failed sitcom a lot, but they yeah. they also talk about how in many other aspects, he's had this charmed life where he's gotten to meet Obama and, right. and like he's been around the most famous people in the world through working at SNL and also just kind of being like the top stand up under 40. Sure. They mentioned how he kind of has a relationship with Jerry Seinfeld. And like oh, when, really? when even when his sitcom was failing, Jerry sent him a letter that was like full of compliments or something. Really? And he kind of considers that like a bit of a... Uh, a whimsical bow 
on the present of the failed Failure. Seinfeld ripoff. Sure. And I was thinking that it would be it would be nice for Jerry to put to put John Mulaney on that show. He's not he's not super famous, but he's like almost Patton Oswalt famous. Yeah, and there's been people on that show that aren't necessarily super famous. Like right. especially the first couple seasons. Yeah. Well, he you also know, like, will have like movie stars on, but right. But he had some of his like friends that were writers that even Jim Gaffigan. Like, if yeah. you know who Jim Gaffigan is, you know who John Mulaney is. Right. Same kind of ilk. I don't know. I think Jim Gaffigan has just been around for so much longer. He's maybe more recognizable. Yeah. But like as a stand-up, like if you know Hot Pockets, you know Jerry Orbach's eyes. You know I don't I mean? think so. No, no I don't. I really don't think so. I wish that was the case. Salt and Pepper Diner, maybe. That's kind of his iconic bit, isn't it? No, I don't think I don't think he necessarily has an iconic bit. I think I could ask any of. Well, he is sure he has an icon, iconic bits to us because we love him. But I think I, I, th- I think I think that- you're confusing your massive admiration because you told me about John Mulaney. Oh, but dude, I mean, like, you think that you wouldn't have found John Mulaney by now? No, I think I would have found John Mulaney, but I don't think I would have been listening to his albums. Like he was I big did. enough for somebody to give him a network sitcom. Sure, he created Stefan. Yeah. He was big enough for someone to give him a network sitcom, but that's a lot of people. Not these days. Right. But it got canceled. Because it was bad. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, I don't know. I guess... I guess what I'm saying is I think Jim Gaffigan is still more recognizable than John. I think his face is more recognizable because he's played the husband in things. Yeah. By the way, his show is going off the air. Jim Gaffigan's is? I saw a headline of... And I don't know if you've ever seen it. I saw a headline which basically said, uh, the Jim Gaffigan show is not cool, but it's really good. And what I've seen of it is like I, that kind of checks out. Sure. I kind of agree with that. Like it's it's a thing that my parents watch, although my parents sometimes watch really cool stuff, but like it's it's not Master of None. It's not right. like the cool thing that people are watching. Right. But it's well, quality. It's on like... Wasn't it on like TV Land or yep. something? Yeah, like it it's was, on a stupid network. Yeah, but it, he's ending it. Like it's not, it's not been canceled. That's he cool. could, he could do more. But he's like, I'm. I, this has been great. I'm gonna. I like that. I, I do too. It takes a lot of power. Yeah, a lot of um, a lot of willpower. I would think. Yeah, he's super funny. Yeah, super. I don't think he's as funny as John Mulaney. He's not quite my type of humor, but well, I do find him funny. And wait until you hear him like. with Pete. I mean, he's been on there before, and the two of them are buddies. Yeah, but like he's just so quick on certain yeah. things and he yeah. just has a way of like there's just such a subtle lilt to certain words that he says yeah that just tells this whole fucking story right. and it's awesome i haven't listened to pete in a long time either gotta get into it he's been interesting lately because he has spent so much time working on his hbo show yeah that'll that coming out do we know i don't know if they have a date yet but they filmed the whole season okay so we are going to get to see a whole season at some point right he's gone through this phase where almost everybody on his show is somebody who's been on his show Right. You know what I mean? Like everybody on the podcast has been on crashing at some point. Oh, gotcha. So they talk about that a lot. But also I find some of the best episodes you made it weirder with people I don't really know. Yeah. I've never really heard of. He did a really interesting one recently with this guy. I forget the guy's name. I don't think you'd recognize the name. I I'd certainly never heard of the name. The guy was about 29 years old. Okay. And you early on kind of figure out that the two of them have a history like he used to open for pete on the road okay they've done a tour together and they make that very clear but it's the most contentious episode of that podcast i've ever heard it's usually such an easy light i mean such an easy light person right but he's kind of peppering pete with all these like he's first of all he's a miserable person he's he hates himself he hates comedy 
he's like he's really not at peace with himself at all so like you're you really sense that he's got a lot to work through and he he's all right with that because he can work with that because he can talk about feelings but then he starts to pepper pete very uh openly with all the things he doesn't like about pete oh wow under the guise of we're friends so it's okay for me to tell you this sure i don't like it when you like he kind of calls pete on some bullshit which you kind of at first are like yeah, good for good for you for saying that because sometimes like all the Ram Dass shit is right. a little over the top. Yeah. But after a certain <laughs> point, it's kind of like he's picking on him and not in like not for the sake of humor. Right. He's, they're not punchlines. He's just like, okay, you didn't need to say that. And then after about an hour, Pete starts to do it back. Really? Yeah. And the the turning point is when Pete says, "Well, like I remember, I remember a full week where I bought you every meal you ate, and you didn't, <laughs> and you didn't say thank you once." Whoa! And it was like, "Good for you, Pete." Yeah. You've th- welcome to the conversation. And what does he say? And he doesn't remember that at all. Oh, that's pretty weak. Yeah. Because I don't think that's something that Pete, who I've never met, <laughs> would say. Well, just based on his podcast, he wouldn't normally alone, call you out on something. No. But the the thing the guy says is, I can't imagine a world where I wouldn't say thank you. And like that's what I thought is like I can't. Somebody bought me a meal once, let alone yeah. what twenty times. I can't even imagine not saying thank you. Yeah. Wow. I want to know who this comedian is. I'll I'll, ch- I'll look into the name. Sure. Here, I can do it right now. Uh, I'm so curious. It might be Chris Thayer. T-H-A-Y-E-E-R. Okay. Yeah, no, it's Chris Thayer. Chris Thayer. Chris Thayer Returns, which means he's been on the podcast before, which means I have to go back and listen to that. Yeah. I don't think it's uncommon for comedians to be pretty miserable people. Sure, but I think there are enough enough happy comedians to prove mm-hmm. that it doesn't, it's not a compulsory. No. And we've talked a lot about the, the demons behind Jimmy Fallon, so maybe that's not the best example anymore. <laughs> One time that would have been my go-to example. But people, I mean, there's a lot of comedians that are on antidepressants. Like, you hear that in their bits. You hear about their anxiety. I mean, even John Mulaney, John Mulaney. was talking about how he He's, was... He seems like a pretty happy person, but, like, he talks a lot about how he, how much blow he used to do in this right. podcast. And, like, he, he's talked a lot in stand-up about how he doesn't drink anymore because that was a problem for him. Right. And, and just the fact that he's, like, kind of an anxious, scared person. Sure. Um, I, I think... I, I, I'm very sure Pete Holmes is a happy person, but... yeah. I mean, look at Mark Marin. That's not a happy guy. No, most clearly of the time. not. And I, I think mean, he's doing better, but like, like Maria Bamford, someone who I think has had her share of mental health issues. Clinically, and, yeah. You know, Sarah Silverman, yeah. You know, yeah. So the list goes on and on. That's right. I, mean, I could probably stand here for half an hour and just rhyme people off. It kind of podcast kind of comes to the a lot of the best comedians in the world are some of the smartest artists in the world, right? You know, but I have like some friends that I find like to be the smartest people I know. But one of their focuses is like on being smart about being happy. Like that's, you know, just like, yeah, let's go play basketball because that's fun. And that's, but you're not talking about intelligence. You're talking about perspective. Like maybe they're really smart, really smart people, but they, they have this ability to step outside of, and, and it's, it's not that it's not intelligent it's wise right it's a, it's an element of wisdom that's true to be able to look at themselves and say okay but w- what's the benefit in in being miserable right now yeah. i have a lot of i really struggle with getting my head around that right sometimes i like i get when i'm not sleeping for a week i'm miserable and i right. can't talk myself out of it you know what i think helps you appreciate gratitude sometimes or helps you be gracious about me personally or in general in general okay i'm using you as like the royal you right is listening to or watching something that kind of gives you that 
you know, watching like Band of Brothers, where you're just like, holy shit. I gotta watch that show. This is World War Two. Yep. These guys are almost dying every day. Yep. And like, yeah. And then you like turn it off and you're like, whoa, my problems seem way tinier now. Yeah, but then a half an hour I'm I'm cursing a blue streak because the milk is sour. Yeah. Like it's I'm, I'm very I have a very hard time holding on to that. Yeah. Keeping that in the back of my mind. Sure. And sometimes I, I one of the reasons I like to listen to Pete is because I think he gives me perspective and I, I I'd mm-hmm. like to listen to more of that the Tim Ferriss show which yeah. you turn me on and, to. And and one of the guys who's on that uh Jocko Wellink, I started listening to his podcast cuz he's just this Navy SEAL. Yeah. who he started his own company and stuff afterwards, but he's like, you know, <laughs> people will have questions about like, I get really stressed out at work. How, how can I be more mentally tough? And he's like, you want to know how you can be more mentally tough? You prioritize, you execute, and you get after it. You finish that stuff. <laughs> it's not hard. Like it's, when I was in Iraq and we were doing this and like that, and it always goes back to a story about his time in the SEALs and you're like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, it's, it reminds me of that Jordan Belfort uh, quote where he says, the only thing standing between you and the thing you want is the bullshit story you keep telling yourself for why you haven't gotten it yet. Right. And wow. so it's, yeah. it's a good one. Like yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit reductive, but there's really nothing stopping me from writing the best novel I could write. Sure. You know, it, it, I don't have enough time. There's time. Right. It's there. Yeah. But the sacrifices you have to make and right. the, the... Well, and this guy this guy wakes up every morning at 4.30 and he's at the gym lifting... Because he can. Squatting like three plates. Exercise like, is a great example because yeah. that's it's just a mind over matter thing. It sounds uh, corny, but right. you do it because you elected to not not do it. Exactly. You and know? like he says, he's like, it's all about discipline. <laughs> I've got a lot of quotes from now because I've listened to like 14 episodes in the he last week. Always talks like that? So he, yeah, he actually does. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. But that's he's been a, on the Tim Ferriss show. That's a good podcast I want to listen to more of because mm-hmm. it seems like the, the, the premise of that show, overarching, is be the best you. Totally. You know? Yeah. So... I mean, we can all we can all learn to do that. Jack Shepard could have listened to the Tim Ferriss show. He could have taken notes from that. I think so. And Gilligan, too. <laughs> For that matter. <laughs> I totally forgot that was this podcast. <laughs> he was not the best him all the time. I don't know. He was happy. And why at the end of the episode was he... Okay, so he was dressed as this tribesman <laughs> who comes out... You're so embattled by the pilot episode of Gilligan's Island. Takes his mask off, and for the first time in the whole show, it happens at the very end, looks directly into the camera, breaks the fourth wall, and says, Skipper gone, Gilligan a happy marumbe. Yeah, that's and weird. that's the end of it. That's weird. Like, he, he wasn't overtly struggling with the captain's, like, criticism. He seemed totally okay with it the entire time. Right. And at the very end, it's like, does he get his comeuppance? Everyone <laughs> just runs away scared. He's by himself and dressed like a tribesman. I don't know if you're supposed to think that much about it. <sighs> it's just... Th- these are the type of shows that I think a lot about. Like, really? Like, you know, there was, like... I just think about the writer's room. Who who decided, okay, so they're all coming out of the cave... And all of a sudden, you just see this cave person. Right. But like in terms of like crafting something, whether they were crafting it to be funny in the moment for the sake of like welcoming frivolity or or if they were actually trying to make something that mattered. Right. Like when when Arthur Miller wrote Death of a Salesman, he wrote a play that people would want to see again and again. Right. But like I think about, uh, I'm sorry for all the references, but I think about like Back to the Future when Marty is at 
at having dinner with his mom's family right. in the 50s and mm-hmm. he uses the term rerun and the little boy says what's a rerun yes in 1955 so like when when the pilot episode of gilligan's island aired do you think they wrote it like <laughs> thinking that people would like watch it again and again no i just think they would have written it with some reason like <laughs> where did where did that costume come from like i that's the way i see i think i give myself these barriers yeah which i don't need to give right and so maybe i should just be happy that these writers were totally free of these barriers it's so weird because you love absurd comedy i do i really you don't do. need an explanation for everything most of the time no, I think it's just like I compare Gilligan's Island to something like, you know, to any sitcom, even if it's Everybody Loves Raymond. Okay. You would be able to explain everything in Everybody Loves Raymond, but you just can't explain where that costume came from. <laughs> <laughs> and that bugs me. Well, you might be able to explain it by the fact that the fucking island they were on was only 20 <laughs> minutes out of the harbor. Yeah, that's true. It couldn't have been that far and away. And the fact that they build a, a pretty, pretty elaborate raft... But don't bother trying to patch the holes in the boat, which is pretty much still standing completely it's, together on the, the island. In pretty good shape. Yeah. They just look at the hole and they're all like, we'll all. never be able to sail yeah. in this. The captain wakes, or the skipper wakes up on the boat. <laughs> He's just like, oh, what's going on? Oh, my God. And Gilligan's biggest problem is, what are we supposed to tell the passengers yeah. when they, like, wake up? <laughs> tell them the fucking... The, they were they were there for when the storm happened. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about it. There's only six of you. Uh, also, Doppler technology, apparently not the best in 69 or whatever what that What is Doppler technology? Like, radar, like... Oh, being yeah. able to see storms coming to be fair i was thinking i just just you mentioned the radio at the top of the podcast they were probably listening to am radio to be fair and ra- am radio can transmit over an ocean well i guess they did have everything right then so you're right there was no no holes <laughs> in no, Gilligan's no Island, holes so in to speak story. <laughs> uh, remember the raft they built on lost yeah they really like they really seem to be heading in the direction of if we get canceled, although I don't think they were at risk of getting canceled then, but like, like if so. this is, maybe this is where we're going to end the series. Yeah. But then they kind of cut it off. Like the raft caught on fire. Do you remember Michael? It ended abruptly. Which like, one was Michael? The black guy. He was Walt's dad. Walt's dad. Yeah. He was so brutal. Sometimes yeah. Becky and I will still turn to each other. There's and we'll, a lot of Walt. Yeah. Sometimes Becky and I will turn to each other and we'll go, my son. Because <laughs> yeah. that's there what was he that. always said. And, Wait, where's my son? And you know what else I used to do is, Where's my baby? My baby. <laughs> oh, There's like God. a whole episode. That's so funny you say that. About her baby. Because uh, that's another thing that is still a part of my life. Ross and I will make fun of not Claire's Australian accent, right. but Claire's mother. We still <laughs> do this. Because it's when they're off the island yeah. and Jack goes to Mrs. Littleton's house. Right. And she's like, you're never going to believe this, but you were on the same plane as my daughter. She must have died. Her name was Claire. But she said she has such a thick Aussie accent that it comes out like her name was. <laughs> <laughs> so Ross and I will make a noise at each other sometimes. And as long as it starts with the claw sound, we know what we're talking about. Claw. <laughs> uh so would you say like it was unclear but go like it was it was it was unclear that's for sure (laughs) what i was gonna say was you all everybody wasn't that in alias didn't you tell me this yeah i guess we talked about it in the alias podcast no i think you told me outside of the alias podcast that's weird i don't even know that why were we talking about alias outside of the alias podcast i don't know 
Yeah, so Alias was the J.J. Abrams show. Right, I think we were talking about Lost. I think we were just talking about the band. What we was probably the band were. called again? Drive Shaft. Drive Shaft. That was Charlie's band. Uh, interesting thing I read today about how many different uh, of the mainstay characters were supposed to be something else before mm-hmm. they decided to cast this person and completely reworked the character. Right. Like, uh, Charlie was supposed to be like a 50-something washed-up rock star, not like a 30-something guy who was a one-hit wonder. Right. W- but it was kind of nice. Right. Yeah, the song, their one song, You All Everybody, was in an episode of Alias, just like a scene that, that was set in a bar. Mm-hmm. Jennifer Garner's talking to somebody, and it, you can vaguely hear it. If you didn't know to listen for it, you wouldn't hear it at all. <laughs> but what's weird is it was like four years before Lost ever premiered. Right. So the song existed, yeah. and then they took it, and they reappropriated it for Drive Shaft. Which is so weird. But that means somebody out there wrote that song yeah. without Charlie Pace in mind. Yeah. And that's cool. That is really cool. You know uh, what other name they were they were potentially going to go with before Drive Shaft? Uh, the Picnic... The picnic party or something? Teddy bear picnic? No, uh, nothing rhymes with Blorange. Oh, my God. <laughs> 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 it's never gonna go there <laughs> uh, i wish they did that's from the parks and rec episode if anyone hasn't listened to that yet i would just love to out. see any scene where matthew fox is there and someone uses the phrase nothing rhymes with blue i know. just want to see his response to that uh, phrase yeah. <laughs> <laughs> another character that they really reworked is uh sawyer so sawyer was supposed to be like a middle-aged con man like a like oh, a New really? York suit wearing kind of con man, gotcha. like a hot shot. Right. And so Josh Holloway went in for the part, mm-hmm. obviously killed the audition. They loved him. They hired him. And I guess they failed to tell him, by the way, the character is different now. We've changed him for you. So there are, in the in the pilot episode, you can hear Sawyer, Sawyer deliver lines without his Southern accent. Oh, wow. So apparently halfway through production of the pilot episode, they went to Sawyer, or probably JJ went to Sawyer and was like, why where's your accent and he was like well i thought i wasn't supposed to do it because sawyer's not southern and they're like no no no, we hired you so you would do that accent (laughs) so but if you watch it they have stuff in this in the episode where he's clearly just speaking with like a new york accent wow yeah so that was kind of cool yeah i i want to rewatch it now your wealth of information on it i didn't rewatch the lost pilot for the sake of this podcast just because i've seen it i think at least three times yeah it's two hours long I've seen it a couple times, and I don't think I've seen every episode in the first season. Do you remember, I mean, the smoke monster was first, it, it made its first appearance in the in the pilot episode when they yes. go back to the plane, and the pilot is alive for a second before the smoke monster takes him out. Right. Do you remember when people thought it was a dinosaur? Yeah. Yeah, they didn't really know what it was at all. Well, I don't even know if they showed smoke. All that all they showed was just like quick, right. quick movement. Yeah, and Suddenly, kind of the sound of like a chain. Right. It, but you could kind of make it, You could in your brain, you could kind of equate it to a roar. Yeah. Because the smoke monster kind of roared. Mm-hmm. And uh, people thought it was a dinosaur. Yeah. I, re- I remember that. I I might have been convinced that it was a dinosaur. I mean, it makes more sense than a smoke monster. I love the smoke monster. I, yeah. I like, honestly, the last... I, th- I know it's not for everybody, but the last five episodes of Lost are like... They're so good to me. Yeah. There's that weird episode where there are none of the main characters, but Allison Janney plays the mother of the island, and it's just the story of Jacob and his brother. Yeah. That and is such a weird episode, such a you're right? Weird, but but it's it was fucking cool. But it, yeah, it gave you a lot at the time. And she was crazy, and she loved Jacob and not his brother, and right. it, that's how their relationship was born. Right. It, oh, it, speaking of, of of Jacob and um, 
and his brother. This is another piece of evidence. It doesn't like it doesn't fill in all the gaps, but it's another piece of evidence for why I know that they knew where they were going from from Jump Street. Mm-hmm. Episode one, two, three, four tops. Uh, Locke discovers uh, a backgammon set, and he teaches Walt how to play backgammon. And Walt says, "Is it like checkers?" And he says, "No, it's a much better game." than checkers there's this very symbolic shot where he shows the two different colored pieces and he says backgammon is like life there's a light side and a dark side and that that is the premise of the series yeah you're right right and one of the brothers is dark and one is light but they don't really introduce their tunics are yeah but the lines are blurred because jacob is quite evil too right it's is he well i mean yeah he's very do you remember when when ben linus kills jacob yeah. And actually, no, the smoke monster kills Jacob. He and he pushes him to the fire, but maybe Ben kills him. Anyway, uh, Ben has has spent his entire life on the island in service of Jacob, right? And and all of and he's like the the liaison between the others and Jacob, right? But it comes out eventually that he's never met Jacob, and he's very ashamed of yeah. that. He's he's obsessed with Jacob, and he worships Jacob. And the island, but he's never met him, and he's very ashamed of that. And so when he finally gets to Jacob's temple, he's with uh, Smoke Monster in lock form, who's kind of like persuading Ben, who's, as it turns out, very um, easily manipulated, which you wouldn't have expected. Right. And he looks Jacob in the eye, and he says, my entire life I've been in service to you, and you give me nothing or whatever. And he's just basically like, he's finally confronting Jacob, and Jacob looks him back in the eye, and he says, so? Right. And so, like, do you see then that Jacob is cold? Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. So neither of the brothers of the uh, that kind of run the island were really good. Because no one is good. No one right? is good. No one on the plane was good. Right. They all were fucked. Well, not Hurley. True. And maybe that, like, Rose and Bernard were not bad either. Son. But Son was... She made mistakes. Like, she... We all make mistakes. So does Jacob, right? Like, that's what so I'm does saying. everyone on the show. Yeah, I guess that's the whole point. Yeah. It's... it's Lost is life. Lost is life. Life is lost. You should have called it life. I should have called it life. Lost one of my favorite. There's already a Martin Lawrence movie called that. One of my favorite theme songs ever. This <laughs> is so quick. I hate long theme songs. Isn't it just like wah? It's yeah. It's just a tone in the word lost. Yeah. Kind of vibrating onto screen. Yeah. I kind of like that about the Fear of the Walking Dead uh, theme song too. Are you watching that? Oh yeah. 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 yeah totally. The theme song for that is just. <laughs> and it just shows like fear of the walking dead with like kind of a strobe light behind it and blood running down i think and it's probably it. just because like it's this 140 character culture we we have no time for a theme song anymore yeah and like gilligan's island has like a has like a crafted theme song that's perfectly written for them yeah but like those days are gone Can i you- i kind of wanted to go back like i think i think you could make a show that follows that and it would be retro enough, like follows like a Batman or a Gilligan's Island style theme. Say what you want to about, be hokey. Say what you want about the Big Bang Theory, but their theme song is amazing. That's true. The Bare Naked Ladies too. Yeah. That's an original song that was created for yeah. that show. Yep. Uh, I'm trying to think of other other song. I don't I don't know where else it exists. Songs might be like they talk about that a little bit in the in the you made it weird episode with Mulaney. he talks about just the the tedium of having to select a theme song for your sitcom and all right. the network notes you get and you just end up picking some kind of canned piece of music right 
I'm trying to think of something that that is contrary to that besides the Big Bang Theory. But can you imagine if Mulaney had like a Hey there, this is Mulaney. We do some things <laughs> zany. Yeah, woo, ah. That would be Mulaney amazing. Show. That would yeah. be so amazing. Yeah, he just, plays a couple of songs from his iPod or from his iPhone or whatever, like songs that, like indie songs that he thought would have been good. Yeah. And But they just ended up picking some. He does some. that on the show? Yeah. They Crazy. just end up picking some like quirky Danny Elfman esque instrumental that's sure, like yeah. fun because that's everything nowadays. Right. Everything. Even the Friends theme song, although that was specifically made for. A lot of people don't realize that. It was written for Friends. Yeah. And then they turned it into a longer song. song, which is ridiculous. And the rest of the song is horribly written. Yeah. And they made it was a radio hit after because Friends was already successful. Yep. There was that stand up special that year, that stand up comedian you told me about that breaks it down. And that is super funny. It's a shame that I can't remember his name. He's not really anybody. Yeah, I wish I could give him credit. But essentially, it's he goes in, he kind of dissects the second verse, which is um, you're still in bed at 10 and work began at 8. You're burned your breakfast so far. Things are going great. Your mother warned you there'd be days like these. That's the bridge. Right. And he says, and, and, and stop right there. Your mother warned you there'd be days like these. Even though, so no one told you life was gonna be this way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so like, yeah, they just completely threw out the other stuff that worked. Yeah. And they made this other thing. To make something that rhymed quick while the song was still, while the show was still on. But it worked for them, I yeah. guess. And they, so of course it did. they probably still get rerun royalties. Yeah. I don't know who the guys oh, in the Rembrandts are, the but Rembrandts, they're right. probably doing all right. That's a pretty good name for a band. Yeah. It, it kind of reminds me of the the Wonders or the Oneaters. Okay. The Rembrandts. We do this segment on my show, the Lost 90s track, where I like play some song from the 90s that you maybe have forgotten about. You didn't play the Wonders, did you? No, because oh, it didn't really awesome. chart. But yeah. like... Didn't it? Uh, probably not in like top 40 probably not in like a mainstream way right but occasionally something will pop up that like then i keep listening to for another five days nice like what did it recently um she likes me for me oh yeah that who w- sings that um blessed union of souls i was trying to figure that out who who sings that song and were they a famous band there were so many one-hit wonders in the 90s yeah every single one of them like i'm on their wikipedia pages every day for the sake of this bit right and it's it's so funny because so many of them in the in the log line of their Wikipedia it says most well known for the song she likes me for me right and then if you look over at the right hand column on their Wikipedia page it'd be like uh, performing together between 1986 to now yeah <laughs> I'm yeah. like you're 30 years you've been playing that We're song still doing it just that song at casinos the thing is that in the mid 90s it was probably the peak of people paying for music yeah like right before. Um, Napster came. Right. They were at the height of, okay, we're going to pay you millions and millions and millions of dollars. Well, you know why? Because you could buy uh, a, a tape for half the price of a vinyl record. Right. So like suddenly music, music got really cheap and everybody was like constantly was consuming buying. music. It was, it was like it is now in that there's never been so much music made because you can buy a blank tape Right. And go make your own song. Yeah. And there was like this network of, of people who were creating music who couldn't before because they didn't have access to right. a recording studio. And now it's on a grander level and a digital level. Yeah. But it was the start of that. So you're saying that m- more people were making music because they were able to. So there was more music. Like demos. And so there was right. able to be alternative music for the first time. Right. Alternative music exists because of the cassette. Does it? I believe that. Yeah. I, I don't know what to... There's always been something that's alternative to the mainstream. Right. But, like, as a genre, 
Yeah. Like REM was successful yeah. because of the tape deck. I just invented that, but oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, I don't know whether to believe you. There's or no history you, backing me up, but I, 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 I just came up with that, and I've, I've decided it's gospel. It's probably true. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to that, everyone. Go. Have we covered everything about Lost? I mean, we did. There's didn't. no way we'd be There's able to no cover everything we, about Lost. Let me look a little bit closer at my notes because I took a lot of them. John Hamm auditioned for Jack. Oh no way! Which is interesting because that was before Don Draper, but like he could have played that part. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that was before they actually cast. They hired Michael Keaton. What? Yeah, Michael Keaton was high. Who's cast to play Jack in a in an early episode in, a, in an early version of Lost where Jack was supposed to die in the pilot. Oh right. Jack was always going to be a main character of the show. Like he was always going to be present in the show. But I mean, he ended up being in like 109 of 120 episodes. He 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 was going to be the Christian Shepherd of the show, and that he was ever present, but he right. was kind of ghostly in the background. So they would bring sure. Michael Keaton back a couple of times a season, right? And then they decided, no, we need to have a guy live through the series mm. and die for the series. Um, yeah. And so they hired a guy who they could get. Michael right. Keaton didn't want to commit to that much. And Matthew Fox at that point had done. What was a party of five or nine hundred two one zero or I think oh it was party of five. maybe but or Melrose Place or one of those shows. That's okay. I didn't know from. that, but that's yeah. interesting. Um, Is there any other character that was like really important on that show that we haven't given enough enough time? Saeed was a great character. Saeed was really good. Really sad character. Also, that's another one who like uh, not unlike Locke, like didn't really ever get to be happy again. Right. Anyone else <laughs> that we're missing there? No, that's it. That's that's, that's it. as much as we're going to oh, get. It's the point where I say, hmm, crazy. The point where you're like, okay, Matt's <laughs> yeah. dialed out right that now. That was so like, it was <laughs> not uh, crazy. I was kind of like, oh, what else? What else? What, what can what I else? say right what now? Else? I'll just call that crazy. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Someone was telling me that I think when Hunter S. Thompson wanted to write something, he would start rewriting, I think, I think The Great Gatsby. Oh, wow. Like he would just start on chapter, like he would just copy word for word the first page and then just start like getting in the habit of like words. That's interesting. Yeah. I actually thought you were going to go in a different direction. And I almost wonder if it would be a better exercise to not copy it word for word and to just go from your understanding of the story, just right. start writing how the story goes. Yeah. And then veer off whenever yeah, it feels. That's another, that's another interesting technique. And Hemingway said, if you're ever feeling, it, you know, and, and it might've been Hemingway. It might not have been uh, F Scott Fitzgerald. Okay. F. Scott Fitzgerald. Okay. But, um, Anyways, I think it was Hemingway. Sorry, go ahead. It would work for Hemingway because it's a well-known uh, Ernest Hemingway quote where he said, if you're ever feeling writer's block, just start by writing the truest thing you can think of. Right. Na like, wh what if the truest thing you can come up with is the earth is round, that's the first sentence. Right. And go from there. Or, you know, if sure. if it was, it was raining that day, period. Or if um, he was sad. Or it, it doesn't have to be a big deal. Just right. write a thing that was unequivocally true mm -hmm. and go from there. Right. He was all about honesty in his writing. Sure. It's funny when you go to Spain, like every bar says like Hemingway drank here. Oh really? Like, yeah, they're super big on. And was he big in Spain? I know it was, uh, I mean, I guess the running with the bulls thing and like, yeah, yeah. He lived. It, I mean, it, it seemed very big when I, when I was in Madrid, there was like multiple bars that were like, here's where Hemingway ate. And I think Paris is the same. Yeah, and there's some there's some places that are like, or there's at least one place anyway that's like Hemingway didn't eat here, <laughs> which I thought was awesome. That's cool. Yeah. That's really good because some people really hate Ernest Hemingway. Yeah, I read like it's like a thing to actually think he's one of the most overrated artists ever. Oh, okay. I read a book called No Relation by a guy named Terry Fallis. He's a Canadian writer, um, and not like not a big deal. And actually. 
um, I was really charmed to learn that he became uh, like a licensed uh, published novelist by writing a book and uploading it as a podcast. Ah, and that's how he, and that's how he nice. became a published writer. And I've done the first part of that. Right. Um, but uh, he wrote a book called No Relation, which is all about, it's a really funny book actually about this guy who dreams of being a writer. Like he works at this like dead end job at a newspaper or something. And he, his greatest aspiration is to be a novelist, but he can't be taken seriously as a writer because his birth name is Ernest Hemingway. Oh, okay. And he also happens to hate Ernest Hemingway. Right. And I so, think you might have told me about this story before. It's, it's a funny. funny book. It's like, it, it's, it's, it's kind of light, but it starts, it starts where he has like basically the worst day ever. His girlfriend leaves him right. and he gets fired from his job and then he loses his wallet on the subway. And he goes to the DMV to replace his driver's license. And the lady there doesn't, doesn't believe that his name is Ernest Hemingway. So he pitches a fit, which someone then films. It gets uploaded to YouTube. He becomes a viral star and, <sighs> and a disgrace. And so to cope with it, he starts, this is the, like, really where the story starts, is he starts a support group for people who have famous names. Okay. So he's in this support group with like Peter Parker Right. And Marilyn Monroe. Monroe. And there's all these other backstories for why people have these names. Sure. Wasn't that a good guess for Marilyn Monroe? We said it at the same I thought time. maybe you said that, but I was like, yeah. you couldn't possibly have said <laughs> no, that. No, I definitely did. Amazing. Speaking of overrated people. Yeah. She quote she said so many things that everyone Oh, she said it. the wisest stuff. <laughs> if you just put up any wise thing, if start with the truest thing you know. If Marilyn you think Monroe. You're pretty and <laughs> your man doesn't think you're pretty, then you don't deserve to not be pretty and yeah people need to get their their quotes straightened out i find the same thing can be said for george carlin who obviously did say a lot of wise things but Mm -hmm. like one thing i've seen attributed to him is life is not measured by the number of breaths you take but by the moments that take your breath away does that sound at all like something george carlin would say no (laughs) never never trust ben linus Mm, good point never trust although in the end Maybe in the end. Even him. still, I, I, think, I don't think I'd ever trust that yeah. guy. Great character. Redeemed. There really could be a, like a sequel with with uh, Hurley. <laughs> spinoff? Just, just like two guys. Hey, we're just looking after the island. The Oops. spinoff could really just be a podcast because it's just going to be conversations, <laughs> right? Right. And they should have true. the Ben and Hurley podcast <laughs> and that should be a thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and like they God. just talk about like whatever... Like they talk about theologistic stuff and also I like, just picture him be like, No man, seriously, I won the lotto. Right. <laughs> I like, believe you, Hugo. <laughs> Hugo. <laughs> I never uh, knew. And like they're talking about like, what do you think is happening this week on Law and Order? I don't know, let's act it out. <laughs> <laughs> Those kind of things. Yeah. Having the best time on the island. Yeah, they just really enjoy each other's company yeah. and it's not it's not troubling at all anymore. No, not anything like Lost was. <laughs> All Ben needed was more comic book references from yeah, Hurley, from yeah. his best friend. Exactly. All right, never trust Will Smith. Uh, never go outside. We have a lot of negative sign-offs. We need something positive. A positive sign-off. Life is like Lost in the sense that there's a lot of characters, some of them good, some of them bad, but everyone, more so just a combination. Jin. <laughs> you gotta finish it dies sun also rises Ernest Hemingway thank you very much Marilyn Monroe <laughs> quote from Marilyn Monroe <laughs>